Welcome, everybody. Welcome to this uh, ISAI podcast. I thank you uh, for listening to this episode. And as you may know, ISAI releases monthly some podcasts on either ISAI website and various streaming platforms. So we are really happy that you are here with us and we really hope that you will join us for the next ones. I am Massimiliano Sorbello. I'm an anesthesiologist. I'm an uh, airway enthusiast and actually the president of the European Airway Management Society and I was the past chair of the Scientific Committee 11 for Respiration and Airway Management within ISAIC. And today it's my great pleasure to be here to share some discussion and some interesting debate with my very good friend Vincenzo Russotto. He comes from Sicily as I do, but he's actually working in Turin University He's a great researcher, he has many papers on his profile, he's an highway enthusiast, and he's also a friend. And within the many papers we have, there's also he was also the, the leading author of the Intube study, almost 3,000 patients, uh, almost 200 sites across five continents, and many interesting data about highway management in critically ill patients. So it's a pleasure for me to have you here, Vincenzo, welcome. And I hope that we will spend some good time today challenging the dogma of pharmacology in critical care patients' intubation in 2022. Thank you, Max, for this presentation and for inviting me to, to this podcast. Great. So I suggest going straight to the topic. And my very first question is uh, quite obvious, I may say. So, Vincenzo, why we, we can say that intubation in critical ill patients is always challenging? Thank you, Max, for, for this question. Well, pre-intubation uh, risks uh, are significantly higher in uh, critical care compared to the anesthesia setting um, for a number of reasons, which uh, may be described as patients-related variables, uh, such as the underlying hypoxemia and shock, but also operators and uh, team experience, but even location may have uh, a rule for, for these events. Um, for sure, induction agents may have uh, detrimental effects because uh, they may uh, be variably associated with uh, vasodilation, negative inotropic effects, uh, but they are not uh, the only variable in play. They, we may have many other variables which may play a role for this uh, uh, high rate of adverse events that we register in, uh, for intubation during intubation of critically patients. Um, so in the intube study, um, uh, we registered at least one major per intubation event in 45% of patients, um, and uh, the hemodynamic collapse was the leading event, uh, which was also associated with an increased uh, ICU and 20-day uh, uh, mortality. Wow, these are uh, very interesting, if not amazing, figures. Uh, I, I mean. I was also part of the Intube study group, and definitely my feeling when we were looking at data is that this was the very first study giving us a snapshot of real world. So everything that we perceived as difficult highway in critical patients became into figures thanks to the Intube study. So we may probably affirm that all critical ill patients are difficult highways, some of them because they have anatomical factors all of them because they have physiological factors which make them difficult highways. So if we go back to our dogma, can you describe, can you describe uh, what is the current evidence on induction drugs for critical ill patients? Because I understand 
this is a crucial point when we speak about cardiovascular consequences and pain intubation adverse events. Yes, exactly. Well, current guidelines on uh, highway management in critical patients uh, support the use of drugs with a better hemodynamic profile, such as ketamine and uh, etomidate, um, which are uh, the focus of recent uh, research. Uh, so concerning the comparison of uh, ketamine and atomidate, for example, um, a multicenter trial, the Ketaset trial performed in France, uh, which has been published in Lancet more than 10 years ago. Um, uh, um, in this trial, authors randomized critical patients undergoing intubation to either ketamine or atomidate uh, for induction. Um, and the primary endpoint of that study was the um, SOFA score, the maximum SOFA score during the first three days in the intensive care unit, uh, while secondary outcomes included organ support three days and 20-day of course mortality. Uh, at the end, the trial did not identify any difference in the SOFA score uh, or in 28-day uh, mortality uh, or duration of organ support. Uh, while the intubation conditions were quite similar with both drugs, uh, with no difference uh, in uh, pre-intubation hemodynamics and the incidence of cardiac arrest. Uh, the focus of the trial was also the percentage of uh, patients with adrenal insufficiency, which is uh, uh, probably the main um, um, uh, issue that has been um, investigated for the use of uh, hetomidate. Uh, but uh, and for sure, the uh, this uh, uh, event was significantly higher in the atomidate group than in the ketamine group, but this did not translate in uh, major clinical consequences in that trial. Um, more recently, another trial has been performed and uh, it has been recently published in uh, uh, intensive care medicine. Uh, in this trial, uh, the use of ketamine and atomidate has been compared uh, in uh, uh, 800 uh, critical patients in a single center uh, in, center in uh, US. And the primary outcome of that trial was uh, uh, survival at day seven, uh, while secondary endpoints included day 28 days of, uh, 28 day survival um, uh, and the user and duration of vasopressor uh, or the new high diagnosis of adrenal insufficiency. Um, and interestingly, this study identified the survival benefit of ketamine at day seven compared to edomidate. Uh, with an hazard ratio of 1.6 for mortality in uh, the atomidate harm. Uh, however, no difference in mortality was uh, detected at 28 uh, day, um, and uh, also no differences were uh, also identified uh, for the duration of organ support or adrenal insufficiency. Uh, interestingly, the authors report a higher use of vasopressors and uh, a cardiovascular collapse with the use of ketamine compared to etomidate, but this is of uh, uncertain clinical importance because uh, uh, um, the author had uh, many uh, missing data for this uh, finding, and uh, this is uh, described as a potential limitation for the, for the interpretation of this result. Uh, so to summarize, for the induction of a critical patient needing intubation, um, probably ketamine and uh, etomidate are quite safe 
um, uh, at least for uh, the hemodynamic perspective, uh, probably there is a slight advantage of ketamine of a, over a tomidate, uh, but um, uh, I should point out that probably this is not the only variable to consider, and uh, uh, this is uh, only a component of a bundle um, that needs some uh, more um, investigation uh, because probably uh, we need to uh, resuscitate patients before intubation when feasible in order to reduce perintubation risks. Well, that sounds really interesting. I mean, we may say that we could still have doubt on the best intubation uh, drug today, but at the same time, we may say that uh, we should seriously start challenging the role of propofol in 2022. So right now, today, we have enough experience and probably more importantly, evidence and data from literature that we should change our practice. And so you, you just described the state of the art of drugs for intubation, but what is happening in the real life? I mean, what did we found out within tube study? Yes, thank you, Max, for this uh, interesting question. Um, because indeed, in the tube study, we showed that in approximately 40% of patients, uh, the induction drug was propofol. And uh, ketamine and etomidate, which uh, um, are the recommended drug or the suggested drug, were used in uh, 14 and 18% of patients, respectively. So this is a really impressive result because probably was not expected. Um, and this may at least in part explain the high incidence of cardiovascular collapse that we registered in our court, which is uh, uh, indeed a representative court of uh, real life practice. Because uh, as you know, in the Intube study, we included uh, many centers uh, around the globe uh, with, um, uh, which are representative of different levels of care, uh, different uh, geographical areas. So um, I, I am quite confident that uh, this is a true uh, representation of what happens today in real life. So this is a, this is a very surprising point, but um, you know, this is not the only finding that uh, in, uh, describe uh, a sort of discrepancy between what evidence and guidelines suggest and what is uh, real life. Another, for example, striking uh, evidence from in-tube study was also the observation that wave of capnography was used to confirm intubation in only 25% of patients, um, despite the National Audit Project 4 showed more than 10 years ago that the lack of capnography or its misinterpretation um, contributed uh, at least in part to 70% of uh, highway-related uh, disasters in, uh, in that cohort. So probably one of the most interesting findings of this um, uh, very large observational study is the snapshot they provide uh, of real life, um, which may be probably considered a, a sort of a large scale audit as a not National Audit Project 4 did uh, in a single country. Um, of the degree of implementation of evidence-based intervention in routine clinical practice. And probably, I can say probably that these results remind us that one of the most difficult tasks 
is uh, probably not only the identification of uh, safer intervention, but also of strategies to implement a new procedure or uh, modify an intervention in light of uh, the available scientific evidence. So, thank you, Vincenzo. What you said is definitely important. Uh, Galileo Galilei used to say that nothing can be improved if it cannot be measured. And definitely, in tube study, measured what, as a clinician, we already felt and knew. We had figures for this. And the most, one of the most important messages from the same study was that real life is far from scientific evidence. If we think that only 50% of centers had guidelines on site and used them. So thinking of the take-home messages from the tube, probably the most important is the high incidence of perintubation cardiovascular collapse. Do we have some more data on the relationship between induction agents and this event? Thank you, Max, for this question. Well, um, we worked uh, in a sub-analysis of uh, in-tube study um, focusing on uh, uh, variables associated with perintubation uh, cardiovascular collapse. Um, and uh, indeed, we identified patients' characteristics uh, associated with an increased risk of uh, um, adverse events. Um, we for sure have uh, patients-related variables such as older age, higher heart rate, lower systolic blood pressure, and the hypoxemia uh, before um, induction. But also we had uh, um, modifiable factors. And uh, as we discussed previously, Propofol use was the intervention associated with a higher incidence of cardiovascular collapse. And this was also confirmed uh, after the performance of a model called inverse probability of treatment weighting, which consider baseline uh, patient severity and uh, other potential confounders that we, we may have. Uh, but even after correction for confounders, the propofol use was the only modifiable factors with an odds ratio of uh, 1.23. Uh, so um, this means that um, uh, this increased risk of cures independently from the uh, administered propofol dose. And this is another interesting finding from uh, our results. Uh, so we, it, it may possibly indicate that uh, even a small amount of propofol may have uh, severe detrimental effects in critically ill patients. Um, and uh, another interesting finding from uh, the in-tube study was the observation that uh, the higher the baseline systolic blood pressure, the higher the drop uh, after intubation. This is an interesting point that may indicate that the um, let's say the adrenergic response that uh, critical patients uh, may have uh, could be responsible for uh, just an apparently good hemodynamic uh, parameters before intubation. But uh, when we administer uh, induction drugs, uh, they blunt this response and it results in a severe post-intubation collapse. So this observation may indicate that clinicians should consider the risk of um, hemodynamic collapse in all critically patients. Uh, and uh, the highest level of alert should be adapted uh, even in case of uh, apparently hypertensive patients that may be uh, just the result of this adrenergic response. Um, and uh, even in these patients, the propofol use should be avoided. Well, this is definitely 
a challenge for the dogma of pharmacology of intubation in 2022. And I'm sure that uh, in next weeks, uh, we may read uh, some attractive paper on this topic. So uh, I invite you all to stay tuned and to follow this discussion because I'm sure that things will change in the very next future. So Vincenzo, just to summarize, uh, what are your final remarks about pharmacology of intubation in 2022? Well, I think that we have now enough evidence to recommend uh, ketamine as a first choice induction agent for intubation of critically patients. Um, from our data, uh, propofol may be associated with a higher risk of cardiovascular collapse even at low dosages and in patients with good hemodynamics before intubation. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the selection of uh, induction agent is only a component of the bundle for a safer intubation in critical care. So um, if feasible, uh, depending on the single patient clinical condition, uh, probably clinicians should consider hemodynamic optimization uh, before proceeding with intubation and uh, positive pressure ventilation. Um, we know uh, from an already published trial, the prepared trial, that pre-intubation fluids uh, may be not effective, at least in a general uh, um, uh, critically ill population. They are, um, they are now working on a um, prepared true trial focusing on patients receiving positive pressure ventilation. Uh, but we are also working uh, to a randomized trial investigating the use of a preemptive infusion of noradrenaline to prevent or mitigate um, the perintubation cardiovascular collapse. This trial is called prevention trial, and uh, we hope it will provide some information on the best strategy for perintubation hemodynamic optimization in the near future. And I believe uh, this is one of the many challenges uh, that we have for the next future. I mean, today, 2022, we know that many things have changed. Uh, the concept of rapid sequence induction intubation has changed uh, since the original idea from Safar and Selic. And there are many things to change. Uh, Mr. Ford used to say that you cannot expect any change if you keep doing things in the same way. And probably today, one of the key messages from this podcast is that we have evidence to change our practice. Changing our practice may turn into a better outcome for our patients, and this is our challenge as researchers for the next years. Definitely, I believe that the, there's a lot of things to discuss. I hope you all enjoy this podcast. I hope you can follow up with the new papers on this topic, with new research, and I invite you to follow the forthcoming ESAIC podcast. Stay tuned on this channel and uh, please stay safe in these hard times. Thank you so much. And thank you again, Vincenzo, for uh, sharing this data with us and this interesting discussion. Thank you, Max, for the invitation and for this nice discussion. This episode is sponsored by MSD.